Hello and welcome to Town Hall Tattle, a podcast about all things politics within the great county of South Yorkshire. We've got the big talking points from across Sheffield, Doncaster, Barnsley and Rotherham. I'm joined today again by Lucy Ashton and Molly Williams, who reports on Sheffield, as well as Daniel Andrews, who covers both Rotherham and Barnsley. I'm George Torrey and I cover Doncaster and the South Yorkshire Mayoral Combined Authority. So say hello to Molly first. Molly, how are you? Uh, tell us what you're talking about today. Hiya. Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, George. Off to Barcelona tomorrow on holiday, so very excited for that. Um, today I'm talking about uh, Sheffield Council's leisure strategy, um, which is actually quite an exciting project and um, lots to talk about with that one. Good stuff. Lucy, come to you next. How are you? What's the big po- talking point on your side of Sheffield? I'm good, thanks, George. Uh, big news this week for parents of children who are in secondary school. Um, as a mum myself, schools become a really big part of your life. So I've got something that a lot of parents will be interested in today. Good stuff. Moving on to Danielle. Uh, what's going on in Barnsley and Rotherham today, Danielle? Hi, George. Um, The biggest talking point and the thing that I've been uh, working on for the past couple of weeks is a report into child sexual exploitation in Rotherham. Um, It's a sad subject, but it's one that doesn't seem to uh, be going away. So I'll be discussing that. Yeah, definitely a very uh, sad case. And we'll definitely be talking about that in more detail in the uh, very, very near future. Uh, just a word on Doncaster, I was chatting about some of the government cash that's been earmarked as part of the government's so-called levelling up fund. Uh, three main projects around Doncaster and the town centre that uh, will people definitely want to hear about. And uh, the very breaking, unofficial yet official expected news that HS2 is going to be scrapped through South Yorkshire. Now this has, even though the, the line wasn't stopping in Doncaster, it has massive ramifications for parts of Doncaster and um, yeah, I was talking about that in due course. So we're going to move on to Molly's story now, and I'll bring Molly in in a minute. So thousands each year visit and enjoy various leisure and sporting facilities across Sheffield, but the way they are run could potentially change hands. The Labour Green Party Coalition are set to approve a £100 million programme of investments in the facilities, which includes obviously Sheffield Arena and the City Hall. And they'll decide how they will be run in a meeting next week through a tender process. So that'll be starting soon. So, Molly, why does the city need a new leisure strategy? What does it actually mean for the city? Yeah, so um, Sheffield Council has reviewed leisure and entertainment venues across the city uh, because a number of arrangements with Sheffield City Trust, which has uh, run on behalf of the council for more than the past 30 years, are coming to an end in the next couple of years. So a lot of the facilities like City Hall are quite old and in need of investment to fill a backlog and maintenance and continue to draw in visitors in the future. So essentially this leisure strategy is a review of how and who will run the facilities and it will hopefully mean that our biggest and most loved venues are invested in and secured for the future. Part of that will include putting facilities out to tender, that's the plan. Officers said it's likely to draw a huge interest, uh, so it may not it may not be Sheffield City Trust who's running them in the future. Good stuff. And how will the £100 million be spent exactly? What kind of things will they be spending the money on? So, yeah, so a huge part of the ledger strategy is this plan to invest £100 million into facilities, and that will be phased over the next 30 years. £63 million of that will go on tackling a backlog of maintenance between now and 2028. 
I'm just going to quickly read out uh, a few of the facilities that need uh, revamping from this. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Ponds Forge, English Institute of Sport, Ice Sheffield, Healy Pool and Gym, uh, three golf courses, Sheffield Arena and City Hall. So basically all the big ones. Um, the council is also planning to rebuild Springs Leisure Centre, Hillsborough Leisure Centre and Concord Sports Centre. So that'll be another huge piece of work. Uh, you might also wonder why, uh, I mean, how a cash-strapped council like Sheffield can afford to do this. So their plan is to use reserves for the first 10 years of the programme and then repay this uh, from income generated from the venues. I had a briefing with council officers uh, last week and they're really excited about this. Councillor Terry Fox, leader of the council, said it was a fantastic opportunity for the city. But it's also really important because officers said without this investment, facilities will continue to decline and eventually close. Definitely. This sounds, a, you know, an exciting project for Sheffield. And the fact they're using reserve money as well is an interesting ploy because we've spoken about this before where, you know, in terms of the, you know, the age of austerity of all councils have been through, leisure facilities have usually taken a back seat. And this is probably every single council up and down the country. So this is a, this, this will be a welcome investment definitely for Sheffield and its leisure facilities I know I recently went to Sheffield City Hall for a, an event and I thought it could have done with a, you know a bit of money spending on it and as somebody who was a former member the, the key word being former uh, of Springs Leisure Centre gym uh, that definitely needs some money spending on it and as somebody who learned to swim there as a four-year-old I'll have you know the pool hasn't really changed since 1995 so Apart yeah. from a lick of paint, that definitely needs some improvement. Uh, that just shows how old I am. Uh, but yeah, so there's very, very much needed money for Sheffield. We've, we've also got those crazy slides that don't really seem to be slides at Hillsborough, haven't we? The big blue slides, but when you oh, slide yeah. them, you don't actually, <laughs> you can't slide down without pushing yourself. So I'm not really sure what they were ever created as, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, as as you know, if, if we're going to talk about you know the attractions at swimming pools, this is where Barnsley comes top trumps. It's by far the Barnsley Metrodome is by far the best swimming pool slides. Big five, is it five meter or ten meter, Danielle? I know, I know. You, I, I you... can't, I can't tell you, but I can say I've been swimming at the Metrodome this morning, and oh, it's absolutely yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. You know, you pay one membership. And there's um, there's Metrodome, Hoyland, I think Royston and Goldthorpe. So that's four pools you can use with your one membership. And I'm just plugging Barnsley because it's brilliant. It's no, really I good mean, value I, I for mean, money. No, that's fine. I mean, mine was on a more of a nostalgic trip when we used to go as a I went as a 10, 12, 11 year, you know, 11 year old to Barnsley Metrodome where you go down the really cool slides and you jump off the five meter diving board and you know hurt, hurt yourself because you'd basically belly flop off the top board and you'd get really hurt yourself and uh the chip butties there were great as well you know i'm just i'm just reliving my childhood here at barnes and metrodome <laughs> but um it's a fantastic facility but no great news for sheffield and uh you know hopefully that's all going to come that's all going to come a proper now we're going to turn now to thank you molly by the way we're going to turn now to lucy and her story on school places now you know the pressure on school places in one area of sheffield has reared its head again so soon after a new school was built, pretty much in order to take the strain off the amount of applications it was receiving. Those in charge of education thought the new Mercia School on Carter Knoll Road in the southwest of Sheffield, which actually only opened in 2018, would mean this problem would be averted. 
for you know some years. Now it's become an issue again, Lucy. So what's actually happening with secondary schools in the southwest of Sheffield? So they're facing a decade of being oversubscribed. This is going to peak around uh, about 2023, 20, so only in a year or so, but it is a long-term problem. Uh, there are negotiations um, with Silverdale and King Egbert about whether they can expand, and that would be a physical expansion with new buildings, but also taking in more pupils. Um, but the council is is keen to stress that this is only uh, one potential idea and, and there's nothing, no firm um, outcome of those discussions yet. Um, they need to find an extra 535 places over the next few years in southwest Sheffield for pupils in Y7 to Y11. Good stuff. So uh, what's actually causing the problem? Why is there so short of places of schools in, in, in this in this region? Well, births rose by 25% in Sheffield, but also nationwide. Um, it wasn't a very short baby boom. This, this rise in births was between 2002 and 2012. Uh, but, but those children have gone through primary school um, and they've they've had to make extra places in primary. Now they're heading towards or are in secondary school. Um, schools are saying they've actually got some health and safety concerns with with the number of pupils, uh, particularly on corridors where there's there's too much overcrowding. As you say, they hope that the new Mercia School. Um, would help ease this problem that has taken in a lot of kids that's got an intake of about 180 pupils every year but it hasn't been enough to solve this problem okay i mean this 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 sounds really really simple lucy but why can't pupils just go to other schools in the city i know that's as an oversimplification of the problem but why can't they just do that well there's two issues really one is if you start sending pupils a distance away, that makes it difficult for parents. How do the pupils get there? Uh, do you have to start putting on school buses? Um, it, it particularly impacts poorer parents who might struggle to get the kids over, over to the other side of the city. Um, there might not necessarily be a direct bus route between where you live. And I think parents also probably assume that if they're in the catchment area for a school, then, then they've got a right to go to that school. The other issue is the reason Silverdale and King Egbert are the two schools in talks is because they take a lot of inner city children and um, it, it balances up with the diversity. Um, and again, it's these inner city kids from disadvantaged areas and, and maybe poorer families that the council's also keen that they that they should have a chance to come to Silverdale and come to King Edbert's. Um, so there's, there's, there's a much wider issue here of um, narrowing that deprivation gap um, and helping some of these inner city kids. 
I mean, just on, just on a personal level, Lucy, I know this is away from the, the story slightly, but just as, as somebody who, you know, you've had two kids who've, who've gone through the gone through the system from transition from primary to secondary, for, for yourself as a mum, how, how stressful is that? Oh, oh, it is unbelievably stressful. Um, and it really starts at, at primary school. A lot of parents pick a primary school because they want to get into a certain secondary school. So when you apply for a secondary school, um, you give three choices, your first, second and your third choice. Um, obviously, a lot of parents hope to get the first choice and that's usually the case. But I have been contacted by parents in the southwest of the city who've said, I didn't get any of my top three choices. Um, and and one, of the, one of the problems that the council has got is that if you live in a catchment area for a school, you do you do have, you know, the right to assume you'll get in that school. It's not a guarantee. It's not a certainty. But you would like to think that if you live near a school, you're going to get um, into that school. The other the other big problem with it is the council has approached the government for some funding to physically provide these extra places and the government said you can have an advance on your money we're not giving you any extra funding but we will give you some funding that was due over the next few years so now the council's in a bit of a tricky position it's got the funding but if it spends it then it's gone and if then schools in the other part of Sheffield in the northeast or anywhere else in Sheffield also have an overcrowding problem in a couple of years that money has then gone so it's a really difficult balancing act here from the council as to how much or whether they spend all of this money now but then whether they face problems in a few years time definitely i only asked you the uh, the, the question on how stressful it is because i know from when i went from primary to secondary school i mean i was in a, in a weird situation as a kid where I was outside the catchment for my primary school and then even further away from the catchment where the primary school kind of would send kids to in the secondary in, in the south end of Sheffield. Uh, I ended up going to a school in North East Derbyshire just over the border, but um, which took a lot of Sheffield kids who uh, basically fell in weird catchment areas and they often took a load of kids from Sheffield. And uh, this is one particular year where the school in question in North East Derbyshire, just rejected a lot of Sheffield kids coming out of area. And, it, you know, my mum was pregnant with my sister at the time. It was a really, really stressful situation. They had to go to, mm-hmm. to, go to Matlock for an appeal. And there was dozens of parents in, in this in this whole thing. And uh, the council just, just it, the whole thing just collapsed. The appeal process just collapsed and they let in, I think it was nearly 40 children into the school, you know, at the turn of the millennium. It is really stressful, isn't it, Lucy? It, it is. And that, and that's yet another problem the council have got where some of these parents could win on appeal. Um, you know, if again, if they're in the catchment and they tick all the boxes, they could have a very strong case for appeal. Um, I mean, me personally, um, you, you tend to apply for primary and secondary schools round about October and then you hear round about March time and certainly when I was trying to get my eldest into our preferred primary I waited up until midnight and waited for that email to drop um, from Sheffield Council because I 
I couldn't sleep. I couldn't sleep that night because I knew the email was going to drop in the early hours and I waited up and checked for that email. So that's, yeah, it's incredibly stressful. Yeah. It's a really, really stressful situation, as you said. I'm sure sure we're hearing more on this story because, uh, you know, it's something that will be running on for a few months uh as we'll probably expect. So thanks, Lucy, again. Really, really, really insightful. Uh, we're going to turn to Danielle now uh, in just a moment to talk about child sexual exploitation in Rotherham. It's a, you know, it's a well-known scandal. It's rocked the town for the best part of a decade. And it's taken another turn in the past couple of weeks, arising from a motion put forward by the opposition Conservative councillors on Rotherham Council. Uh, they've uh, claimed uh, they found multiple examples of active grooming and CSC in multiple locations across Rotherham, which is happening pretty much today. And they released a report into their findings. So, Danielle, tell us a bit more about this report. How did it come about? I mean, CSE is something that's never gone away since the J report came out in 2014. It's sort of always come up every now and then. Um, but th this new report came about when the Conservative candidates were campaigning in the run-up to May's election. And they say that CSE was a subject that came up time and time again from residents. Um, apparently, they were told CSE is still going on and it was still a big concern. So when Conservative councillors were elected, they formed a working group to look into CSE and to ascertain whether it is an ongoing problem in Rotherham. And they produced quite a damning report into their findings. Okay, so kind of in the report, what was alleged? What did it, what did it say, basically? Well, it's important to say here that the working group said that they're unable to verify all of these claims, although they are confident they come from reliable sources on, on the front line, as it were. Um, so the working group alleged that CSE is a continuing problem in Rotherham, um, that police action, I quote, is seriously lacking. And again, I quote that the council is committed to the idea that CSE is part of Rotherham's past, not its present. Um, the working group say that they uncovered examples of grooming and CSE in Rawmarsh, uh, Wath, Greensborough, Eastwood and Clifton. And they say it's happening in parks, allotments, car parks, private homes, um, all sorts of places. And allegations include reports of girls being sold for sex from a petrol station and takeaway shop and that some of the perpetrators are grooming children online. And then they said that Rotherham Council's response to the reports has been practically non-existent. So on that note, Danielle, what have the council and the police done with this report? What have they said at this point? Um, so the Conservative group called on the Labour administration at Rotherham Council to make some changes to address this. Um, and that included training staff to spot the signs of CSE, um, launch a public information campaign and just acknowledge the scale of child sexual exploitation still happening in Rotherham. Um, this motion was put to full council last Wednesday. And although Labour did table an amendment that was accepted, um, the motion was unanimously voted through by all councillors, Labour, uh, Lib Dem and Conservative um, and Independent which to me said that all the councillors accept this is still a problem and agreed to take steps to address it. Um, Councillor Chris Reid, the leader of Rotherham Council, said that tackling CSE has been the authority's top priority and said £20 million a year more has been spent on children's social care. 
Now, when it comes to the police, they said that they've never denied CSE is a problem in Rotherham. Um, Superintendent Andy Wright said in a meeting last week that South Yorkshire police might not be seen to publicly act on every piece of information, but they are investigating tip-offs behind the scenes. Um, and Dr Alan Billings, South Yorkshire Police and Crime Commissioner, said a lot of the information passed on by the Conservative councillors as part of the report was quite vague. And then he also said it's it's wrong to suggest that the police and council aren't focused on safeguarding children because they are. So it's it, it made quite damning reading, really. But in the end, the, the councillors did come together to kind of acknowledge that it is still an issue. So that's where we are at the moment. Yeah, I did read the statement from uh, the Police and Crime Commissioner, Dr Alan Billings. It was very strong in its rebuttal and kind of, you know, said that, you know, the police are not just sat on their hands. We are actively working. I know, you know, with the, the work they're doing with Stovewood and the National Crime Agency, this is going to rumble on for, for many years to come. But, I mean, I had, the, well, I don't know if it was the opportunity, but, the, you know, the, the kind of, I was in court to cover some of the court cases at the time when, you know, the main perpetrators were being tried. And it was, you know... One thing that struck me about this whole thing was the whole, the, you know, the widespread nature of this and the the horrendous acts that these young girls were going through. But also on the flip side to that, the, the sheer bravery that they showed to stand up in court, many of them who were young women now with children having to relive that experience as, as young girls and teenagers just to, you know, I just commended their bravery and I'm, I'm sure there's more victims. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's absolutely harrowing. Definitely. Definitely. It was, it, was a, it was an awful business. But again, Danielle, there's a lot of all these stories. I'm sure we'll not hear the last of this. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, kind of look forward to the next updates if there are any. So I'm going to move on to Doncaster now. Uh, something regarding the, the levelling up money from the government. Um, it's welcome news. The borough is going to get some money. Just going to talk about briefly what that means and how that's going to transpire. So the council said it's been successful in a bid to receive nearly £20 million. This is the levelling up uh, fund as part of Chancellor Rishi Sunak's budget. There's loads of little details in there, but this, these are the main points of the, the £20 million. So in its simplest terms, it's going to be split into three areas. So part of the money will go to renovate the Grade 2 list of St James's Baths in Waterdale. Another chunk will go towards the development of Brownfield land along the town's waterfront and some more money will go back uh, towards a green space for Waterdale and to bring the historic corn exchange market back up to scratch. So the waterfront site preparations money could be another step on the way towards a new hospital for Doncaster. The site itself, where it could go, is a massive brownfield site and the council and other partners, it's pretty much backed by every single person in Doncaster you talk to, would support a new hospital. The caveat to that is going to cost around 900 million quid. It will need serious backing by the government. Uh, a bid has gone in as part of the new hospital funds. I know Doncaster was unsuccessful in the first tranche of funding. Uh, and this uh, second bid has gone in and they reckon they're going to build eight brand new hospitals as part of the second tranche of funding. I don't really need to go into much detail as to why Doncaster needs a new hospital. Anyone from Doncaster or anyone who's been to the DRI, the Doncaster World Infirmary, in the past few years, we'll tell you why. DRI itself has a massive repairs backlog. It's over £60 million off the top of my head, as what I can remember. They've had two pretty substantial leaks in the hospital, having to move patients around as well. The location itself along Wheatley Hall Road is not ideal. Uh, the parking's not very good. Staff had staff 
you know, have to use a park and ride facility at the moment. And the main part of the hospital was built in the 1930s. So that kind of suggests everything you need to know about that. So the money for Waterdale, sorry, the money for the waterfront will go some way into preparing the land for a new hospital if the funding comes. So onto the St. James's Bath on Waterdale, this is literally a stone's throw from the council building. The The money will basically bring it back to life as a spa and swimming pool these are initial plans uh, at the moment they could change but that's the, that's the premise so far and a fun so, fact as well George, would that sorry. be like the old glossop road one then possibly would that, would that be would that still be council run i believe so but i would probably think that it would probably be sold on again potentially to a to a business to run it i mean i, I don't think yeah. it, i don't think it would be yeah. a, I, I i can't see it being a you know it, <laughs> A local authority running a spa and uh, you yeah. know, running a beauty spa. You know, it's a it's a historic yeah. Turkish style baths. Uh, and there's a fun fact as well, Lucy, as well for you as well. Uh, the Beatles once played a gig there in 1963. <laughs> so um, you know, other members of staff have been digging out old archive photos, and we've definitely done some stories on that in the past. So that's where the main bulk of the money is going to go. Um, you know, reaction to this is 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 pretty pleasing. Uh, there was. Um, a slight worry at the start because the only the St James's Bath funding um, and sorry the waterfront funding for the hospital grounds was announced first, but there was no um, news on the Waterdale stuff with St James's Baths, the green space. There was no news on that, no news on the corn exchange. But now that has come later on, so the reaction has been pretty good. Um, and we will see those developments uh, in the near future. I just want to speak quickly about HS2. So this isn't official yet, but the signs are that the eastern leg, which runs from Birmingham through South Yorkshire and onto Leeds, is set to be axed in order to save money. I know we're recording this on Tuesday, and they expect an announcement from the government on Thursday. Now, some people will be rejoicing this fact because it's completely blown all budget proportions. It's gone way over budget. Um, so people will be happy about this, but for people in Mexborough on the Shimmer Estate, this is a pretty much a double hammer blow because the plan line was going to go through the estate. People had to move out, uh, find other other places to live, and now they're finding out, you know, this week that it was pretty much all for nothing. And unsurprisingly, councillors in the area are up in arms. They've called the move sickening, and it's all been in vain. Um, this is a relatively developing story. The actual official confirmation that the Eastern Lake has been axed has not been announced yet. But um, again, Lucy, from the stuff we've done on HS2, from the, and this is kind of pan South Yorkshire wide from, you know, Sheffield, you know, I don't know if you can remember initially when, you know, the plan was to have this station at Meadow Hall and then Sheffield Council lobbied. Yeah, yeah. City Centre Station, they got it into Sheffield Midland. There was talk at one point of reopening Sheffield Victoria. And yeah, so it brought a bit of animosity from Doncaster, especially Mexborough, from the fact it was moved from Meadowhall because it would mean that this new housing estate was basically going to be demolished. People would live people were living in these houses for two, three Mm -hmm. years and then getting a letter through the door to say basically. Well, well, you know, you're going to be under a compulsory purchase order. Yeah, uh, you, you're going to have to move out. So, this HS2 debacle, because I know you can probably talk about this, Lucy, briefly around. You know, Sheffield's released a master plan around HS2 and its station. And what has there been any reaction from Sheffield? 
at the moment to this, if you're aware. <coughs> Excuse me. No, I'm just thinking about, George, um, how you summed it up there. And it's when you recap it, it's just been a mess from the beginning, hasn't it? Just just the rouse that there's been and, and the lack of clarity and um, the fact that, as I understand it, it's now branching off to Manchester, I think puts cities like Sheffield at such a disadvantage if we're if we're trying to compete um with Manchester and particularly Birmingham. Um yeah it's like you say debacle I think is a really good way of, of yeah. describing it. I mean there's there's so many different angles you can take with this. I mean the the, the Doncaster one I've taken is the fact that people were basically told to leave yeah. and then now the their homes are not actually going to be. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's and at the moment, grateful for those people. And at the moment, there is. I mean, I need to look into this a bit further. But you know, one of the you know one of the Mexico councillors has told me that the government are basically renting these homes out on short term contracts and just keep renewing them and renewing them and renewing them. So people are actually living on the Shimmer Estate, but they're under government contracts mm. in terms of government rentals and stuff. So there's some calls to basically. I don't know how simple this would be, but to give people who had to move out the houses back, um, people put a lot of money in. The, the investors are, you know, people who've spoken to different broadcasters and publications who said that they you know, spent a lot of money on these homes, new homes, and they, you know, they basically put their livelihoods in it until the retirement and stuff, and they had to move out. Um, but it just goes and, back. Yeah. And like you say, for nothing. Yes, yeah, for nothing. Just goes yeah. back again to the, to the to the whole point of kind of South Yorkshire and the and the previous rows. The council have had over different different stuff, and you know this is a. Mm. I don't know. I, I, th I think a, a very sorry tale in the end. But again, yeah. we, we're not. Yeah. It's not been confirmed yet, but that's what everything's pointing to. Yeah. At the moment, so we're nearly done. But we're just going to round off with a few few headlines. Uh, we're starting in Sheffield again, and um, yeah, this is a story that's been rumbling on, very similar to the Roy Chubby Brown stuff. But Christian preacher Franklin Graham will be able to hold a concert at Sheffield Arena after win winning a legal case against the council. It's understood the it's understood he challenged the ban on the grounds that religious beliefs are protected under the Equalities Act. The event was cancelled after a backlash from community groups, religious leaders and politicians. This is in reference to, you know, some of the things you said, such as homophobia is a sin, etc., among other stuff. A legal dispute has now been settled and it's set to go ahead on the 25th of May. Uh, politicians within Sheffield Council are considering a move to display white ribbons on council buildings as part of the National White Ribbon Day, which raises awareness of male violence against women. And something slightly more lighthearted, Sheffield's Lord Mayor, uh, Councillor Gail Smith, will be chucking herself out of a plane in order to raise money for charity. Uh, this is all part of a skydive. Uh, you know, each Lord Mayor has a charitable cause. And, uh, yeah, the, the Lord Mayors of councils up and down the country often, you know, usually do bake sales and stuff, but she decided to do a skydive. And I think mm. that's, you know, rather more effective, uh, rather her yeah. than me. Good, Yeah, absolutely, George. Good luck, Gail, because like yeah. say, I, I won't be first in the queue to jump out of a plane. Definitely, definitely. Uh, I Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's always something I wanted to do, but whether I actually had the had the 
have the goal to do it is another matter. Uh, is there any, any other points, guys, you want to raise before we wrap up? I think we've uh, I think we've, think we've done done pretty well today. Uh, anything else that you wanted to talk about briefly? Anything that's coming up, possibly? No? Okay. Well, I'd like to say thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, your feedback is greatly appreciated. Uh, we are for, found on all the uh, usual places you find your podcasts. Uh, thanks uh, to Lucy, Molly and Danielle again for joining me. Uh, thanks to Chris Setchells in the background who's doing all the technical stuff behind the scenes. And we will definitely, uh, you know, get the word out there when it's all ready to go. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. Thanks a lot. <laughs>